0: Tonight's reading from the New Testament is in James, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm to be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead... So, also, faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I have the awesome privilege to introduce uh, my mentor, my friend, my brother in Christ, Pastor Randy Neighbors. Uh, Pastor Randy Neighbors is a native of Newark, New Jersey. Um, and, And how I would describe Randy Neighbors Randy Neighbors is a powerhouse, he is a man who loves Jesus. He's a man who loves the poor. Uh, he founded New City Fellowship Church, and he was the lead pastor in 1976, stepped down in 2012 as pastor emeritus. He's works for MNA as the coordinator for Urban and uh, ministry, Mercy Ministries. Uh, and he also has his lovely wife, Joan, here with him. Randy is instrumental in bringing me here to D.C. He married my wife and I, his uh Sons are some of my best friends, Uh, and he's just a a, a genuine good brother. And so, please welcome Randy Neighbors. Why don't you come up, Randy?
2: Good evening, everyone. It's Hispanic month, so I'll say buenos tardes, bienvenidos, amigos. And uh, that's about all the Spanish I know. But uh, praise the Lord. It's so good to be with you. Thank you to the pastors of this church and the elders uh, for allowing me to come. Thank you for a pulpit in which I'm actually, I can see you. Uh, a lot of pulpits are up here, and it's, it's like this for me. So I know Andrew was bending over, but for me it's, it's a good thing. And I appreciate what Andrew said about all the things I've done in his life, but I can take no credit for his voice. Uh, That's a gift of God and his diligence to train. Thank you, musicians. Uh, That was wonderful. Great to see a choir. Uh, Great to see all the work you put into it. And, uh, you know, it's something we come to church, and we're often blessed by those with musical gifts, but behind the scenes, they really work hard. And uh, we, we need to give God glory for them and pray for them and say thank you to them. Uh, amen? Yeah. Uh, I come, uh, as Andrew has told you, I, my wife and I, we live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And one of the blessings of ever coming up, always coming up to D.C. is uh, I have some grandchildren up here and they're in church with us this evening, and I'm really grateful. Uh, And I hope they uh, can behave uh, during the sermon. (laughs) But they're great kids. Um, My son Garrett, some of you may know, he was a worship leader for a long time at Grace Meridian Hill and uh, was here at the downtown church uh, and went with Duke to help plant that church. So we really love Grace D.C., And we are thankful to God for all he's done through you and with you. And uh, we just pray for great things to come out of you. Uh, One of the sad things I have to report is, uh, since I work for Mission to North America, one of our leaders uh, just passed away Uh, yesterday. He drowned at his lake house at Ted Strawbridge. I don't know if any of you know who he is, but he just came on staff uh, just this year. Uh, to help uh, do a lot of uh, training for church planters and to raise money, and uh, tragically he 's gone, but gloriously in heaven, and I know uh, I know his life finally makes sense to him now, and so I praise God for him. Uh, I want to pray, and then we 're going to get into this text of James chapter two, James chapter two is probably the most controversial chapter in the Bible for evangelicals, right? The whole Bible's controversial if you're an atheist, you know. If you, if you don't believe in the supernatural, the whole Bible doesn't make sense to you. But if you're a Christian, this chapter gives you a lot of trouble, and it, it has given some of our great theologians trouble, and tonight I'm going to settle all the arguments. So. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for another Sunday when we get to come to worship you in the house of the Lord. Lord, we have asked you to forgive us. and We're confident that you do because of Jesus Christ. And we're asking Holy Ghost for an anointing that you would help me to proclaim the word of God boldly and fearlessly and with joy. We thank you so much that you love us. And we're asking for a blessing in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Now, there are certain problems that uh, uh, the Apostle James is addressing in this passage. And we actually read the second half of the chapter. And so we're going to go back and uh, acquaint you a little bit with what precedes it as James uh, begins to speak about this issue of faith and works. Uh, He's concerned about the issue of partiality. He's concerned about Christians having judgment without mercy. He's concerned uh, with the uh, need for us to obey the commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are some of the concerns he has as he comes to this text. Now, James is the brother of Jesus, we understand. He is not the same apostle who was beheaded uh, in the book of Acts. And if you'll notice, there, there's, certain, there's a sort of thematic DNA in the Bible. Uh, that, I just made that phrase up. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, the thematic DNA, you can see in Mary, you can see it in James, and you can see it in Jesus. And it's inter- you wonder what it was like to be in Mary's kitchen when they started talking about justice. And they started talking about poverty. And they started talking about the goodness of God. Because in all three of those personalities in the New Testament, that DNA jumps out. If you read the Magnificat of Mary, it's just full of the idea of of the irony of God's justice. When you read Jesus, you, you cannot top Jesus in concern for the poor or for justice. And then James comes along. So James has these... These concerns. And so let let me read it to you so that uh, you can understand. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Notice that phrase, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man comes in in shabby clothing. Also, he comes in at the same time, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place. While well, you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you then not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brother. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh, that's all right. Okay, white people. (laughs) And the black people who are here affected by white people. Say amen when I say something good like that. (laughs) Now, i got three points. I want to go through them. I hope they'll be helpful. And the first one is a question. And it's the question that James asks. What good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And he gives this example. Right after the passage I've just read to you, he gives this example that's very practical. You know, what, what, what if someone says, uh, so, so, someone comes in, he's, he's, he lacks food, he doesn't have clothes. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm fill, and you don't give them the things that you need, that they need, what good is that? It's a very practical question. Very practical question. Now, you see, it's, it's an empty phrase. Just, it's, it's emptiness. There's no, no depth in response. There's no real compassion there. Good, you know, good sentiments. I hope, you know, maybe I'll even, I'll pray for you, but no action and so James has a problem with this. He has, a, he has a problem really with empty religion. And you know, God has always had a problem with empty religion. This is not new. James isn't inventing this. God does not like religion without mercy. All right? If you need to tweet, tweet, her, what is that called? <laughs> tweet something? If you need to write something down on social media, write that, all right? God does not like religion without mercy. It's always been nasty. It's always been a horrible thing to be religious and not merciful. He says that in Isaiah 58. And God gets mad at the people of Israel. He said, I hate going to church with y'all. Well, he doesn't exactly say that, but it's, it's like that. He said, I hate your religious feasts. What kind of fast is this? Isn't the fast I want to share your food with the hungry? That's what I want. So God has never been interested in religion without substance. And for God, the substance is mercy. Now, he goes on and he says, See, here's the problem, and this is where it gets controversial. Verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the devil believes that. And I would venture to say that since the devil knows God very well, And lives in the supernatural realm, he doesn't have any problem believing in God, but that doesn't make him good. That doesn't make him saved. There are a lot of us who go to church. We have a lot of great theology, but nothing seems to come out of that. And that's what James is attacking here. And this is when. Uh, he starts getting into trouble with us, especially modern evangelicals. In fact, going all the way back to Luther. Here's, here's my second point. Uh, it, and here's another question. Is this a denial of Paul or Luther or the Westminster Confession? Now, for those of you who are not Presbyterians, we have this great document. It's called the Westminster Confession. Tonight, we're going to memorize the entire thing. Uh, no, I wish we could, but it's great, it's great stuff. But the, the confession comes out of the Protestant Reformation. You remember guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin? Those are the big names of the Protestant Reformation. And they were rediscovering uh, the doctrines really that jump out of the book of Romans from the Apostle Paul. And the great doctrine, of course, is what we call justification. And if you are a Presbyterian, especially if you're going to become a pastor in the Presbyterian church, and when you take your exams, if you don't know the definition of justification, you ain't getting in. i mean, as simple as that right there. That's the front door. you got to know what justification is about. Okay, quick review. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, God judges sin. He loves us, he loved the world, so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Amen? Amen. And on that cross, all of our sins were placed on Christ. And in that moment, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in Him. That's another doctrine called imputation, but we'll, that's aside. All right. Now justification says that since that is a fact of God's love and that Christ died for you and then He was buried and He rose again from the dead. How does that help you? How can you engage the miracle of that sacrifice? Of that substitutionary atonement. How can you actually apply it to your heart? And the answer is faith. You believe. You believe that Christ died for you. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And you engage that great story of the cross. And by the way, a great name for all that I'm talking about right now is called the gospel. You believe it and you are saved. And there is no salvation, the Bible teaches, without faith. You must trust in Christ for what he did for you, and that he rose again from the dead. You believe it in your heart, you confess it with your mouth, and you're saved. That's the great doctrine of the Reformation, and Martin Luther discovered it as he read Romans. It was always there. And they say uh, that as he read the text... He wrote next to that word, when we are justified by faith, and he wrote sola, because he was writing in Latin, and it means alone. And you see, that was so important to him, because all of his life and all of his training had told him, you're not saved by faith, you're saved by the sacraments of the church. You have to do penance when you sin. You, you, you have to take confession. You, you know, all of these things have to happen to you. And there's still no guarantee you might spend thousands of years in purgatory. And the church began to sell indulgences to help souls fly out of purgatory. And as Martin Luther read the Bible, he said, this is nuts. This guilt all over it. I'm just overwhelmed with guilt. How can I be saved? And he reads, Roman, he reads the Psalms and he sees a, a psalmist who has an intimate relationship with God. And he said, I want that. He reads Galatians, and he realizes it's not by the works of the law that we're saved. And Romans teaches him it's by faith. Now, we're told in history that Luther had a real problem with James. Do you see how? Because, you know, he's just, I mean, he's having a a grace party. You know? He and all the ex-nuns and and ex-priests, you know? (laughs) They're drinking German beer, praising God for grace, you know. And then they say, what's for Bible study tonight? And they open to James. I'm making this up, but in a way it happened. Because Luther said, are you sure? Should this be in the Bible? Should this be in the Bible? You notice, it almost seems like a denial of everything Paul said. It it seems like it's a denial of our own Westminster Confession of Faith. And you better not do that. Okay. But I want to affirm tonight that the book of James is in the Bible. And I also want to affirm to you it is orthodoxy. And I want to affirm to you that unless you and I fulfill what James teaches about, we ain't really saved. What do I mean? One of the great heresies of American evangelicalism is something you might call easy believism. We have uh, been deluged with a, a message that says, say the sinner's prayer, just do this, and then you can live any way you want to, but don't worry, when you die, you'll go to heaven. That is not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say, Pastor, are you saying it's not by faith that was? No, 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 no. I'm saying exactly what Paul and James and Jesus say. Oh, Jesus? I'm bring up Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Jesus said, "You can tell a tree by the kind of fruit it grows." Jesus says, "You know, a wise man built his house upon a rock, and when the storms came, that house stood firm." And he who believes my word and does what it says is the wise man. That's what Jesus said. And does what he says. You see, just saying words isn't real faith. And just having sort of a sentimental moment... uh, when you go to church or you're at a campfire at, at, at some summer youth group or, or when you feel terrified of hell and you just want to quit out if, the, if that faith is real if that faith was really brought to you by God's grace, and that's the only way to get faith He opens your eyes to believe and you come to the Savior if that is real salvation That means the Holy Ghost came inside you, and he is the spirit of Jesus, and he lives in you, and all of a sudden, your life changes. There is a change. You are converted. You go from death to life. You go from darkness to light. That's the work of God's grace, but it has evidence. It has proof. And what is that proof? Some of you have heard about the trial this last week of Mr. Jean, who was killed by a police officer who came into the wrong apartment and shot and killed him. And then there was this trial. And last week, another amazing event took place in America. The brother of that man who was killed stood sat on the, on the witness stand at the sentencing. And said, I forgive you. And I hope that you'll give your life to Jesus Christ. It's an astounding statement. And then he asked the judge, can I hug her? And she rushed over from her seat to be hugged by him. Now, what's interesting, I don't know if any of you are on social media, but a storm broke out. And it was, it, was, it was almost mystifying. And a lot of people who are justice advocates were saying, they were almost saying, I don't know if anybody said this, but they are almost saying, that ain't right. Or at least they were saying, white people, pay attention. Y'all want to be forgiven, but don't give up on justice. And it was almost like it was an offense For him to forgive. Now, by the way, if any of you are interested in this, you should read the statement his mother made, which is an incredibly well-balanced statement about injustice. And her respect for her son who forgave, her confession, she's not there yet, and how we still need justice, her statement is awesome. But I want you to understand this. The power of Christianity is that mercy triumphs over judgment, not judgment over mercy. We're never going to run out of a need for justice in this world. Not until Jesus comes back. We're always going to have oppression. We're always going to have people killing other people. Even yesterday, the main witness in that trial was assassinated. There's still injustice. But the miracle. The miracle of life is not justice, it's mercy. <laughs> and Jesus came to give it. Otherwise, you see, we've still got to be mad at the people who crucified him. When he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But we, if, if we're saying, no, 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 Jesus, you know, we're going to focus on mercy. So the people who nailed you to the cross, we're going to hate them forever. you miss him completely when you do that. And a lot of people in our world have hated Jews because of that. They have sought justice against the Jewish people. Instead of focusing on the mercy of Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's not anybody here who doesn't deserve justice. But that's not what you want to ask for when you stand in front of God. What every one of us needs is mercy. Mercy. When you believe in Christ and you believe that he died and rose again and you confess him and the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you are saved according to the word of God. Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. The question is, how do we know? How how do you know? Where's the evidence? And that's what James is talking about. He's saying that when you come to Christ There is a moral change in your life. It's not moralism. It's true morality. It's not legalism. It's not do good and do right in order to be saved. No, you are saved and therefore you're able to do good. And I need to bring this to a close. So we need to look at another passage of scripture that might help us with this. And that's Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there as we read from verses 8 through 10. And it says this. This is the Apostle Paul. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And by the way, that's, you know, Paul is always uh, sounding that trumpet. It is not by the works of the law that we're saved. It's not through righteous acts that we've done that we're saved. Amen. We are not. None of those things ever saved anybody. It's by grace, through faith. And this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Boom. There it is, right? So that no one can boast. Now, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship Created in Christ Jesus, why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. James is really just giving emphasis to this idea. If you really are saved, if you really have had true faith, it's going to result in goodness. Primarily in the kind of goodness that loves your neighbor as yourself. And to love your neighbor as yourself means you're going to have to have mercy on them. Truly loving your neighbor as yourself is going to cost you something. And you better believe that forgiveness costs. And I say this as somebody who doesn't deserve forgiveness and does not like to give it. And it's only the grace of God that changes this wretched heart to help me to forgive those who've hurt me not even those who've hurt me those i think hurt me brothers and sisters i came by here tonight to tell you put up or shut up that's what james is saying he's saying if you love jesus if you have true faith in our lord jesus christ the lord of glory then his his life the quality of his life ought to be shining through you that you ought to be a forgiver that you ought to be the lover of the poor. That you ought to not be a discriminator and oppress other people. That if there's compassion anywhere on earth, it ought to be among us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are the God of justice, the God who loves justice. But you are also the God of mercy. Thank you that you are the God of grace, the God who gives us the power to believe and have faith, but you are also the God of grace who gives us power to do good. And so tonight I ask for Grace DC, and I pray that it would be full of people who do good. Not, Lord, to earn your pleasure, but because they already live in your pleasure, That they already live in the joy of the gospel and of grace. That they've been forgiven of their sins. And they know it. And they can now love people who are different than them. People maybe formerly that they hated. People that they would despise otherwise. God, make the people of Grace DC godly. Fill them with the Holy Ghost. Let love pour out of this place. And let it be for the glory of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.